It may interest you to hear the inside story of the discovery of the neutron. And it may perhaps amuse you to learn how difficult it was to make what seems now an obvious step in the development of nuclear physics. On the surface, the discovery of the neutron in the spring of 1932 may appear rather a lucky accident. This is not altogether true, for it followed upon a whole series of experiments spread over about 10 years. Both Rutherford and I had long been convinced that the neutron might, indeed ought to, exist. And we had made, sometimes together, sometimes separately, many efforts to find it. It was in a Bakerian lecture given before the Royal Society of London in about 1920 or 21 that Rutherford suggested publicly the possibility of the existence of a neutral particle of this kind. And he described some of the properties such a particle should have. His conception of the neutron, and still more mine, was at that time rather vague. But I still think that the basic idea was sound. At that time, the atomic nuclei were assumed to be built up from protons and electrons, the only elementary particles then known. But there seemed to us, and I must add especially to Rutherford, to be some difficulties, or at least some unsatisfactory features about this assumption. And Rutherford pointed out that it would be easier to understand the building up of the atomic nuclei in their remarkable variety of elements and isotopes if a neutron were one of the bricks in the structure. This argument seems more obvious now, when it is easy to define fairly precisely the difficulties in the assumption that electrons are bricks in the nuclear structure, but in the early 1920s it was no more than a vague feeling that electrons do not really belong inside the nucleus. And it is not surprising that Rutherford's suggestion made very little impression outside his immediate circle. The first experiments to search for this particle were made by the late Dr. Glasson of Australia, who was then on a visit to the Cavendish Laboratory. As we know now, his experiments were bound to be unsuccessful. But the failure of the first attempts did not put Rutherford or myself off the idea that the neutron should exist nor did they deter us from making many experiments in the following years. We had two general lines of attack. One was to try to synthesize the neutron, which we thought of as a very intimate combination of a proton and an electron, and the other was to try to knock the neutron out of an atomic nucleus, as we had knocked out protons, by bombarding elements by alpha particles. I made a number of experiments on both these lines, some of them wild gambles, which might now seem worse than wild, even stupid. Now, I made some which could have given the answer I was looking for. The reason for the failure of the better experiments was twofold. Sometimes the source of alpha particles was too weak, so that the neutrons, although present, were rather few in number, but the more general reason was a lack of technique, for the methods of detection of individual particles had not then been sufficiently developed. It is on the record that the final clue to the discovery of the neutron was given by an observation of the Curie-Joliot's of a peculiar property 
of the radiation which is emitted when beryllium is bombarded by alpha particles. As a matter of fact, Dr. H.C. Webster, working with me in the Cavendish laboratory, had already observed some odd things about this radiation. And we had suspected that neutrons were possibly the cause of these odd effects. But when we made a direct search for neutrons, we were unsuccessful once again. The reason on this occasion was that our source of alpha particles was rather weak, and we were perhaps not patient enough to go on taking pictures in the expansion chamber after so many blank results. The observation of the Curie-Joliots was almost exactly what I had long been looking for, and it came at a very convenient moment when I had prepared a strong source of polonium in order to resume experiments. It was no difficult matter, there being now available the valve amplification method for detecting single particles as well as the expansion chamber to get adequate and convincing proof of the existence of this elusive particle. In the course of only a few days or so, Feller, Dee and I were able to establish many of its properties and even to use it to produce nuclear disintegrations. Once the start had been made, it was not very difficult to go on. One might well ask why it took so long to make such a simple and obvious discovery. One reason is that we were breaking into a completely new field of physical inquiry, the field of nuclear physics. In 1919, when Rutherford moved from Manchester to Cambridge, the prospects for a successful attack on the problems of the atomic nucleus did not seem at all bright. For some time, progress was quite slow. And it can be seen now that, as in other instances, it depended almost as much on the development of appropriate methods of experimental technique as on good ideas. Rutherford was always brimming over with ideas. And in those early days, he and sometimes I tried many experiments for which our technique was not good enough, but which proved successful later on. There is perhaps one other remark I might make, an observation which is not always appreciated. This remark is that it is always very much more difficult to say the first word on a subject than it is to say the last word. <laughs>